0: Welcome listeners, this is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself.
1: And this is Richard Ceballos, your introspective yet extroverted co-host all the way from the Silicon Valley slash San Francisco area. We are
0: a podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business.
1: The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Also, we like to dissect stories of success and reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining a business.
0: Today, we bring you an amazing entrepreneur, James Giancotti. He is the co-founder of a Hong Kong based startup, Ada, a research platform that analyzes and ranks startups, similar to how equity research analysts rate and publish recommendations for public listed companies. And for those tuning in, don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Essentially, they provide unbiased analysis and ratings on startups, similar to like when you're looking at buying stock from like a company and seeing what those ratings are, what people would recommend or what institutions would recommend you, as far as are they a buy, are they a sell, are they a hold. They were created to disrupt the way that both investors and startups lend and acquire capital. James, thank you so much for coming onto our show.
1: Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you today we want our listeners to learn about the ways audup is benefiting startups and investors with unbiased research and ratings more specifically we want to hear about your journey with audup up until this point and next steps for your business as always we want to end with a few leadership questions so our audience can expand their outlook on leading their business and maybe apply any pieces of advice that resonate with them so before we do that james we I want to run a new segment. It's titled "Human Minutes." So, uh, yes, folks, we combine the words "human" and "minutes." Secondly, let's just say that the Fast Five has graduated into Human Minutes. So, for those who have been listening for a while now, it's sort of evolving to this point. In this segment, we're looking for honest and human responses to a few rapid-fire questions. This is to humanize the entrepreneur. A lot of the times, we don't really get to see that side of the entrepreneur. So. What do you say, James? Are you down for some few minutes? I'll I'll do the best I can. (laughs) Okay. So how did you feel when you moved from law, studying law, moving into entrepreneurship? What was that like for you? Relief.
2: Too much pressure for my old man. So I was happy
1: (laughs) to be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Okay. Tell us about an experience that has
2: contributed to your resiliency. Uh, always remembering that it's just your legacy. Um, and I come back to a quote that I got when I was younger, and this has sort of kept me going from when it's been amazing, when it's been terrible, and that is that no one ever reads your resume when you die. It's a quote that I, I got when I was 22, when my first job, um, and it was the impact that you leave and the legacy you make. And so every time Up has one of those bad days or something's gone wrong, the resilience is I keep on coming back to me and coming back to, I'm glad I'm not working at a full-time job. I'm actually building a legacy here. And that's the one thing I keep on telling myself when, you know, some days as an entrepreneur, you just go, oh, I'm over it. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. Just reset. Have a good sleep. Next day is another day and you start again. Absolutely. And I'm sure on our deathbeds, we're not going to be getting images of those moments
1: when our business wasn't doing so hot. <laughs>
2: Only the good things, only the good things then, yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) All the highlights, all the highlights. So
2: what is one way
1: you keep yourself healthy?
2: Uh, Well, I've had to get more healthy now because I think COVID was one of those, you know, you get a bad bod from it. So I've sort of really got onto a a health kick. Um, And being healthy also helps me sort of focus more. When I say, I love to play volleyball. I play volleyball a lot. Um, it's a low impact sport and I like to walk around and, and being in San Francisco, walking up and down hills just keeps you healthy. Just, just climbing up a couple of hills, Mason street or Taylor street or any of those other streets, union road. It's, it's uh, it does stuff for you. Yep. I used to live on Taylor street. I'm in San Francisco as well.
1: So thank you for answering a few questions and doing our few minutes.
0: Yes. That was few minutes with Richard. James, walk us through the birth of Audub.
2: Well, you know, I'd like to say there was nine months and there was a beautiful sort of holding of hands and there was a beautiful lady and all that. But it's not like that. It was very much more uh, sort of focused on sort of fixing a problem. So, you know, I was at when Hong Kong was born, I was actually I'd left Goldman and I started my own VC fund with uh, my business partner also, who helped him to launch up with me as well. And uh, one of the things the LPs were asking for is, when you're about to make a decision on a company, give us the thought process. Why on earth did you want to invest in them? And so I, being from Goldman on the research side, I always put the reports together as a report that you would see for a security, like a Facebook or a Weibo or a Alibaba or whatever it is. They would look at a report going, now oh, recommendation, price targets, and so forth. And I started sending that to LPs and then to other people who were also interested in the round. So other investors as part of it.
0: And then can you also explain LPs just for our audience? Okay,
2: limited partners. So people who put money into a fund. So a fund is usually not the money they just come out of thin air. They usually ask other wealthy people, other wealthy companies to put money into a VC fund. So just for anyone who doesn't understand that. So the wealthy people, I'll use <laughs> simple terms, the wealthy people who helped us invest in companies would, uh, were interested in understanding you know what our thought process was and so as we were doing as these reports came out and people were so fascinated by the reports they said you know this is a business here and i like no 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 and every time our reports and even the companies that we didn't invest in did well they said hey there's a correlation here and so odd up was born and it was born because we didn't have that information for companies in asia we launched odd in hong kong and there was nothing like that there was always Crunchbase or PitchBook and other things here in the us but at the time, there was nothing. And that's how it started to build. And then a simple demo with research analysts became a data-driven product, which then sort of uh, morphed and, and managed over time as our clients became people who we didn't expect to be our clients. And that sort of helped Up get to sort of where it is right now versus where we started it.
1: Yeah, James, do you mind telling the audience what is the importance of a data-first strategy for businesses? I know some of our listeners Maybe thinking about this, but don't know what it means
2: and the benefits of it. Sure. Um, so I come back to what I mentioned just before about customers. So we originally put reports together like a research report where people would get a piece of paper, they'd print it out on the internet, what have you, it would be five to 10 pages of all our reasons. And what we found was a lot of companies were saying, actually, just give me the data on the company and some of your recommendations, your valuations, and we've already got our own system and let's put it together to use. And what we found over time was actually more and more people, particularly large B2B companies, who is our sort of bread and butter, wanted the data and wanted the the insights and they wanted the valuations and the buy, hold, sales. But they weren't interested in, you know, a, a 10 page report on what we thought because they just wanted to find in their system what worked for them. And that's the reason why we've become data focused. And what that means for sort of everyone out there is that every company has their own investment methodology. And what they do is they use a couple of our systems, like not just up, but other competitors out there, to drive the reasons what why they should invest. So why Amazon invests in a company is very different than why Microsoft via people who use Bloomberg app and so forth. So the data is what they want, and the data actually helps fuel their system. And so up in that data-driven f- focus, has actually become a data a data company more than it's become a research company because the research still happens on the client side, not as much on our side, where we're providing the initial insights and the initial data and the initial viewpoint, and then they will go through their long due diligence process on why they should invest in a company.
0: Okay, so with all this information out there, all this data-driven information, how would an institutional investor or a, an individual investor know? Which one to rely on because of everything that's out there? How, how does one choose one over the other?
2: Well, so it's, I guess when we look at what an institution is looking at, depends on the institution. Right. And so, and I'll look at how our product gets used in different ways versus investment versus sales strategy. So when we first started up we were looking at like the angel investor who would use us instead of an analyst. That actually makes up 0 or 0.1% of our business now is actually so minute. And so when an institution looks at it, they're looking at key factors. So information that we feed to them, they're popping it on their system of, okay, this meets their criteria, one, two, three, four, five. And their criteria could be different for every different institution. So it's a very sort of hard generic question to answer, but common feedback between every single institution is they're looking for companies at a certain level, at a certain valuation that fit their metrics. Good example. A tech company or a large tech company in the Series E or public in Silicon Valley is looking at companies in that pre-seed series A, Series B stage, whereas the big corporates who use Bloomberg and Thomson Reuters data, they're looking at companies that are either public or they're about to go public, they're very established. And so it's about who how much you're willing to spend. But you'll see a common theme about their own thesis, doesn't match their own requirements. Then I take the sales side of it, where a lot of people use our product. They're going, okay, who's raised money? Or who's about to raise money? Who's looking good? How are they competing? And so people like Amazon or Microsoft go, actually, we've got a cloud service that we'd love you to be part of. Let's give you a month, a year for free and see if Odo's rating is correct and that over time you're still going to be around in a a year's time or in a month's time or 10 years time or so forth so they can provide sales services. So that's the two ways our product gets used. And ultimately, that's how institutions use our product, to answer your question.
0: Yeah, thank you for answering that. And uh, that's what... Initially, I was trying to wrap my head around what I would see the website because at first I was like, who is this for? And I remember hearing in a past, I've heard one of your past interviews that you were creating a product that tends to be sold in multiple forms. So to the institutional investors and not as much anymore to the angel investors. So then how would, I guess, let's just say I'm a college freshman. I have an idea and I want to start my own business. How can I average Adobe's tools or how could it be something that's useful for me? I'm, I'm trying to get to a series A stage. How would that be something that I could use as a, you know, as a founder of a company? Okay. So it depends
2: on the entrepreneur and what they're trying to achieve. So a couple of years back, everyone was an Uber for this and Airbnb for that. And so they would use the platform to go look at these Airbnb clones and, you know, what are they, what are they building? What are they trying to achieve and what money are they looking at getting? And so an entrepreneur would look at the platform and look at stats of the companies where their growth, which regions they're in, and if they want to compete with that or not compete with that. Now, originally an entrepreneur normally goes, I want to create something brand new and no one's ever created it for, but. The bulk of people who actually create successful companies are creating a clone or something that works in a different le- region. I use Clutter here in the US where there's, you know, um, Boxful and, and then there's, I think, Ship and, and there's a whole heap of other clones of that. But effectively, it's the same, you know, leave box of stuff with them product, which has been done, but in a different form. <laughs> so it... The way an entrepreneur would look at Otter, and it's free, by the way, for entrepreneurs, they can use up to 10 companies a day to sign up. We want them to help create more companies through that by them getting free due diligence from us. But it's them to look at their competitors. Are they competing against a beast? Are they actually building something that's already been done before they haven't got an edge? Or is there actually capital in this area? And that's another thing that's really important. You know, At the moment in 2021, all the capital is going to crypto slash uh, Web 3.0, not 2.0, that's last year or the 3.0 and <laughs> yeah. so that's where the VCs are headed but you know looking at the trends where it could potentially go uh, which industry is very exciting and that also helps an entrepreneur decide especially in the early stage of who actually invests in companies like me so that's a very important thing so I can reach out to them and two do actually anyone want this product or am I creating something for me my mother and my father and you know my my college mates
0: Right, and especially the landscape too. Is it something that is wanted? Like right now, I guess right now it's blockchain, right? That's like the the hot thing that mm-hmm. everything's going to be on the blockchain. And I think similar to how things are on the cloud, which also the cloud could work from a blockchain. Who, who knows what is going to happen with cryptocurrency and NFTs? If that's still, if that's still going to be around, uh, which I mean, we've already seen the Staples Center change their name to Crypto.com. Yep.
1: <laughs> Um, God
2: bless the money that they're all making, yes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, James, I want to talk a few specifics. How does Audub analyze and rate startups, I know you were touching on this, while remaining unbiased? So,
2: one thing that companies do is they say a lot of their story and they don't realize they're saying it. And so there's information that's public. I I raised $10 million. I put it on Crunchbase and and then I put it on uh, TechCrunch. And, you know, this is the investors in a very simple format. There's a story gets done 10 times and that's it. That only tells you the moment of time. But the company has also a lot of other factors in it. So when we look at a company, we look at some four major ingredients. The first is the company and the industry they're in, as in they let's use the Boxwell example or, or Clutter. They're in a delivery of boxes business. Is this industry getting lots of money or not? And that will determine the value of a company. Then who are the investors? Are they investors such as a Sequoia or a Founders Fund or a company that uh, an investor that's had continuous success? And, and coming back to the industry and the sub-industry, are there an industry that's hot and getting money? And that all helps factor in the the base course of a company. Are they going to be successful? Then we look at the founders. Have the founders had previous success before? Are they in the right location? So location plays a big part of it. If I'm starting a hardware startup in Phoenix, for instance, I could do well, but I would probably do better in Shenzhen where the factory's there and I can or even now Ho Chi Minh, where a lot of factories are moving to, where I can actually have that and produce it at a better scale from a long-term perspective. Then we look at LinkedIn at people coming in and out of the company. We're looking at press and also Twitter responses from employees. Is there positive? Is there turnovers and so forth? And you can actually drive together a picture rather than just the we raised $10 million and that helps put together an opinion of where we think the company is and also the valuation of where it is now. We stay unbiased because we don't care, to be honest. We only care about ourselves. We just want to produce data and people are paying us for that data. We don't want to be biased because it doesn't help us in any way. And if we're biased and it fails, then we actually lose customers. So for us, there is absolutely no need for us to be biased because the only companies we need to care about is Up. Audub- and that's it. We need to make sure we uh, keep on making money, we keep on paying our people and we keep on growing. That's all we care about. Everyone else is just keep on doing what you do and uh, keep on being amazing.
0: Yeah, and I think that's definitely important uh, in terms of working ethically, right? Uh, Having a really strong ethical practice in the business uh, because I, I mean, I'd imagine there'd be maybe companies that are saying, how can we leverage? How can we invest with you? But also how can we leverage our investment with also being a part of Audub. And I'm I'm sure you've like still stood your ground and letting them know, well, here are the resources that we have and what we're already doing with people that are on the platform, but also staying true to like your shareholders and all the people that invest in the company and your customers that you're going to give them the, the most unbiased data for them.
2: Well, I always say that two of our investors, one being 500 startups and two being Kima Ventures, are two of the biggest uh, investors in startups on the planet and now they have never ever once said can you help us and they don't need to they've got a canva they've got a twilio that and mm-hmm. good investors would <laughs> no one actually has ever asked us to do that and i hope not they ne- they never do and the reason for a bean is and I'll try and be careful with my profanities, but crap is crap and it will become crap eventually. So you know, if the company's dead, we can't polish, you know what, it's not going to work. So it's up to the company to be good. And it doesn't help us as well. As I come back to my previous point, if we were to do something like that, it would make us look like we're completely biased. There is absolutely no value. We do not want to be a news network. We just want to be a data provider. If we want to be biased, we we'll would be either a Fox on the right or a CNN on the left. You know, that's that's if we want to do that. But, you know, none of our shareholders have said that, nor will. And I stand my ground, you know. We be let the data speak for itself. Thank you for sharing that, James. So out of the
1: four areas, industry, investors, location, and LinkedIn, how does Audub rate investors? I'm just curious, and you don't have to dive too deep into it, but I no, just want I to...
2: Investors get scared when I say this, but there is a there's. I'm gonna I'm gonna be very polite in this. I, it's 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 Christmas. I got to be nice. But I will I will say that with investors, let your results speak for themselves. A lot of investors like to talk up the book, there, and that's standard. Everyone wants to tell you that their companies that they've invested in are the best things since sliced bread. But we look at exits, and we look at size of capital, and we look at follow-on funds. And now we're looking at something much more concerning for us, which is the VC resignation. But I'll come to that in the end. But when we look at an investor, we're looking at, you know, what's their success rate? Continuous home runs. So many great companies. And so their rating is much higher because they've proven success. No one really cares about who's investing in Sequoia there. People are caring about who Sequoia is invested in. Whereas a new fund, and there's lots and lots of money all around the world that are coming into it. You know, is it of value? And you know, how does that value translate? But you know, at the end of the day, the investors are there to make money, two and 20%, 2% of fees, 20% of what happens in the end. And so the ones who are hungry and basically become successful, that's the key. What we're seeing, however, now is, I guess the COVID honeymoon, which is now affecting VCs, where we will now have to update our algorithm where a lot of senior partners who have basically made it in the last two years has been so many great exits in tech that they're like, okay, I've done it now, you know what, I'm going to go to Thailand and sit on a beach. And so a lot of that knowledge starts going. And so the people who now replace them, they just haven't had those success. So that will affect VC ratings moving forward.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And now I kind of want to go into your Series A funding back in 2017. And I read the Forbes article of how you successfully took your company to Series A. I want you to first elaborate on what you meant by spending 70% of your time finding a lead investor. This is for those that are looking to start up their own companies. Like, What do you you mean by that?
2: So the lesson I learned in fundraising is smell the bullshit early. A lot of investors will go, yeah, we do this, we do that. And so the 70% is going, who is going to lead? Who is going to be sort of put their hand up and say, I will lead this? And my name will help other people come in because what typically happens at Series A, it's who else is investing, who else is investing, who else is investing. VC has is generally a sheepish industry where a lot of them will follow whoever follows. So we looked for the one who would put in uh, 50% of the check. And that 50% of the check was a reputation as well as the money. The money is becomes secondary as you grow, but it's more about who's going to lead from a, okay, this is my brand. And as soon as we got the major investor, everything else fell into place. So the people that were like, "Uh, uh, uh," oh, you've got times and time was our major investor, we had 500 and a couple of other click ventures and a couple others. That was like, okay, Times are the biggest media company in, in India. You know, they're worth billions of dollars. Okay, that's a leadership company and we're going to get behind that. And that helped led more and more rounds. But that is a very key thing because a lot of entrepreneurs spend so much time caressing VC's egos. Don't they need you more than you need them so focus on the ones that are a certain help with uh, looking at going to due diligence immediately that will make a decision early so that was really where that came from it's very different now than you know four or five years ago but then it was you know vcs were on the mantle now it's the, the founders are on the mantle because there's not enough good ones so that's helped change it so if you've got a great company and you're building you're actually saying no to VCs more than they say no to you now. So it's a, it's a good time to be raising money.
0: Right. So then that brings up a follow up question is, and I know it's going to depend on the type of company you're making, but I'll try to ask this question as best as I can. But I guess I could use one of my past guests as a, an example. They're starting a a social, a social media financial platform, kind of like a, they're called personify. They're like, uh, Twitter meets Robinhood, also stock twits. and they are looking for venture capital and their, their goal is to get to Series A funding. So what sort of things should they consider when looking for different funding? Because they've done like the Funder, they've done the, that type of funding, pre-seed funding. And they're, where they're at here in Arizona, they know they're not in that, like the Silicon Valley, right? Those specific areas where they could probably make some connections. What would a company like that have to do in order to build those relationships with some of those uh, lead investors that they could really get nurtured from in, in many ways, not just like financially, but as a coach as, to help them?
2: So I come back to the VCs uh, uh, and their egos and, their, and how it works. So, you know, no one's going to be as honest as I am because this is the way I am. But um, I love it. It's good. <laughs> VCs want to be massaged and they want to be told that they're the best, they're smart. That's why they're always on Twitter trying to prove themselves. It's quite hilarious when you read it. Um, most of them are wrong, but they're always trying to prove themselves like Miami is better. Or, but, you know, in, in all fairness, what you do is you have to play the game. And so what you want to look at is, you know, massaging their egos, you know, reaching out to them on Twitter going, that's a great article, even if it wasn't, and sort of start building them on the radar because... The problem with a lot of the decision makers usually are the associates or VCs who get to the partners is it's the feeding. It's all about getting fed and getting on their radar. So try and build those conversations early. And, you know, like you said with me, you know, that article in 2007, that resonated with me. So if I was a VC, I would be like, yes, you know, it was a great article. I did such a great job. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. And that sort of you're caressing my ego and all of a sudden we have a conversation. So you see where the dynamics work. That is actually where someone who's not in the Bay Area, and there's a lot of success stories we've seen, who starts getting to the Bay Area or getting to area major financial hubs, become aware and becomes on the VC radar. And then the VC will go, okay, so what are you working on? And that's your key in. That's where you can go, okay, this is what we're working on. And they want to see metrics, metrics, metrics. So if you make all your conversations with them about metrics, not about Well, we're going to, I don't know if I want to show you the idea. I want to give you an NDA, none of that crap. This is the metrics. This is how we're growing. This is the conversation. They're going to watch it. And you want to start that three to six months early, maybe three months now and start building that, then start trying to get as many press stories as you can. And then you'll see how fast they come to you. And then, then it's, oh, they're investing, oh, and then it becomes a different story.
0: To me, that sounds like networking because like when you're networking out yeah. with a lot of people, oh, it is. The, the best networker is the person that listens, the person that talks less and lets everybody else. P- people love talking about themselves. <laughs> so then if you can get people to talk, then they'll say, well, what, tell me about yourself. Like I've been talking all day. Like what, what do you do? And and I think you hit it there in the nail where that's a great conversation starter for them to build those relationships
1: oh i was just having an epiphany so vc stands for validation collectors right is that what they're really collecting Oh, <laughs>
2: pretty much yeah 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 i so- saw. So I think, and this is where the interesting thing is happening. I'm seeing so many VCs leave top tier funds because they've made a ton of money on crypto or the mindset of a lot of people have changed because of COVID. You know, like our company is completely remote now. We'll meet somewhere in Thailand next year, hopefully when all the borders open up, where, you know, we'll see each other for a week or two weeks, go through it and then venture off. And this is also where VCs, people don't need to be in the Valley anymore anymore. Unless you want to get stabbed, you want to get robbed, you want to get carjacked, you want to be in San Francisco. But if you don't want to, then of course Phoenix is a much safer place to be, and that's for sure. Uh, you know Sacramento would be a better option, but you know uh, the the appeal of Silicon Valley is, is is diminishing at a rapid rate, and the capital that's there is not just there anymore. And so Silicon Valley has a lot of work to get back to where it was, and so so the VCs used to get a lot of. A validation because there was a networking event every second day people would go and say i loved your talk you know you're the best they used to go around the world and travel and go to a panel none of that's happening anymore so they're desperate for that validation as well and so if you give them that validation it's the hot person hot girl or boy that used to be amazing in a nightclub but the nightclub's not open anymore so they need to use instagram see where i'm going that's how their entrepreneurs need to think so i'm trying to put this in more layman's terms like so that conversation I have with my mother back in Australia over Christmas will be like, oh, I see what you do. That's that's how it all comes.
1: I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've asked the question before of like, how would you explain the job you do to your mother? And this is great. <laughs> this is a, a great way for our audience members to really understand.
2: I'm still using the, I, I fix computers. That's that's the conversation <laughs> stops there. Oh, that's wonderful. You pull apart computers, yeah, something like that. It's, all it's like,
1: mom, I have an issue with venture capitalists I want to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty serious.
2: Nah, you wouldn't care less. You wouldn't care less. She'll just ask me to come back to Australia like, like a good Italian mother. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Love you, Mom. If you're
0: listening, you. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Mom. <laughs> so, then uh, back to the article. The last thing I wanted to talk about is well, since your Series A funding, uh, when you got set up and went through the process of uh, talking with your lawyers and doing all that, how have you grown since then? How how much of an impact has that Series A funding done for you? Not just the the finances, obviously, right? getting more uh, financial backing. But how has that really helped put you in a position to where up is now?
2: I would say it created problems that were solved at Series B. And the problem with a lot of companies at Series A is they go, oh crap, I raised money, I need to hire so many people. And in 2017, that was the rage. You just have to hire because that's what people want to do. Where in fact, your biggest headache then as an entrepreneur was never about the money. It was about managing egos, managing HR issues, and sure time actually selling the product became less and less. As we've grown from series B to series C, it's been more about actually our customers don't need us to be everywhere and anywhere. They just need us to deliver a product. And so, you know, with staff changes, location changes, we've actually followed the customers rather than sort of be this Hong Kong company originally that, you know, wanted to prove ourselves in Hong Kong. We did that very early and we realized that Actually it should be about where your customers are and being and selling to them and continues to sell to them. Um, and it sort of helped us find better people. So as you get more time, you get more money to spend on better people, but you also as a CEO wind down your responsibility. So, you know, my role now is to talk to wonderful people like you as opposed to crap, we've got a tech issue or we've got a HR issue. It sort of now becomes more about selling the business's overview to a different set of audience rather than Series A, when you you're fighting for every single customer you can.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So now I want to go into back to your product on the website. I'm pulling it up right now as we speak. There's Auto Crypto. Tell me about that because when I clicked on it, you it says the Fort Knox of digital assets, and I was looking at it and. Are you a platform? Or do we do we invest in crypto on there, or do we get research of crypto on there? I wasn't sure about that. I've already made an account as far as like the research, grabbing research. But uh, tell us about that. Tell us about why you decided to add crypto in there, and uh, what what services you provide for
2: that. Sure. So. We will publicly launch it. So we do this already with our B2B clients, but publicly we'll do this before Christmas, which is actually providing ratings on all crypto, all assets that are tradable. You can get a rating on, you know, where we think the price is, where we think it's going, transaction. You can actually get everything on up on that. So that's where up Crypto is going. From the Fort Knox side of things, we're actually holding crypto because we're launching a product next year, which will let people actually help raise capital in a different type of manner. And so we're seeing the emergence and the convergence of, what VCs were versus what crypto is and sort of in between and when that connects. So that's why we say Web 3.0 is probably the biggest impact since 2.0 and not in a joke that it's a version number, but, you know, 2.0 happened quite some time ago, at least 10, 11 years ago. Now we're looking at a, a companies can raise capital rather than doing through traditional meaning. And ultimately what that does is actually provides us more data, provides us more visibility, but actually lets them be able to raise capital at any time, not just pre-seed to, to see series A, but they could be series A, could be pre-seed, or as in they've just got an idea. And up crypto helps establish the ability for investors also to go, you know what, I want to dabble in this investment. I want to actually buy something, but not buy something like a traditional equity. They're buying a stake in whatever the platform is going to do. So those details will come next year. But the up crypto is we're actually holding uh, in excess of about one hundred million dollars of crypto on our platform from investors where we thought we had to do it for ourselves. Why not do it for others? And that's actually been one of our highest growing businesses, along with the data for crypto because. There's a lot of rich crypto investors lately, so you know Doge has been really helpful for a lot of people. So, and others. So that's why. So do we have Arto Coin? <laughs> do we have Coin? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're not at that. We're not at that stage yet. No, no, no. auto Coin. You know, we always want to be impartial to this. Who knows what we could do in the future from a crypto side of things? But we're very much seeing that startup and crypto being merged. And in the next five years, the way startup, especially the people who listen to this program, the way they raise is going to be very, very different. And the um, the validators, as we call it, the validators, as you mentioned, um, will probably not be as important as they used to be.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, it's, dude.
2: it's exciting to see the landscape landscape
1: change in that way, and to just be prepared for it. We're at the point in the podcast where we do want to pivot to talking about leadership, because we do believe that leadership and mentorship is really key to the success of an entrepreneur. So. My question is, what are some easy, but not always obvious ways to grow as
2: a leader or entrepreneur? Hire better people <laughs> is the best. Thing. And let them run the business. At the start of a startup, I can't begin the amount to, to mention how many times I felt like I could do it better than everyone else. And the fact is, I, I couldn't code better than my coders. I couldn't manage HR better than my, my HR team. I couldn't manage finances better than my finance team. I can manage, you know, selling this business, helping the design the strategy and and doing things that a CEO needs to do. And one of the things a leader has to do is find the right people to lead and the people who want to sort of be empowered. And so the more you empower, the better it is for you. And that actually makes your job easier. So now as I sort of lead to series D, E, and then potentially an exit, my job is to actually empower the next generation of up so that when I'm no longer here, that can continue on. And every founder needs to come to realization normally is that even though it's your baby, your baby is going to grow up. And usually at the time, if up's a child, you know, she's about to start high school. And then, you know, when it gets to sort of, you know, 21, it's about time to say goodbye to her and she's going to go to uh go to the public listing. And then you see that the evolution of a, of a child. And so a pre-seed is like a baby that you're nurturing all the time. You can't focus it. But as you get, as you get older, there's other people that look after that company better than you. So you can help continue to be focused, continue to be excited about your business. And that's the best secret of of leadership is finding great people to help you in the journey. Yeah. It's, and you can't do everything
1: right as someone who's going to be starting their business. So it's better to realize that early on and to be able to, like you said, empower your workers so that they can bring out the best in themselves. And I love what you said about that, because that's what we ultimately want to do on this podcast as well as our empower our listeners. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Now, how have mentors and coaches shape your path to success?
2: Uh, I think they need to change over the time of your business. So they have helped me a lot, but some mentors helped me a lot more at the early stages. But as we've grown, a different set of mentors have helped me as the business has got to a different maturity level. And so I would say that your mentors are great over time, but you know always have your next stage of where the business is going, having that mentor ready for, okay, we've gone from series A to series B. What's Who's a good series A mentor? Who's done it? I find that now actually other founders in the same positions who've done it are the best type of mentors. Cause it's not that they're coaching you as a young person. They sometimes can be younger than you. They're coaching you of, oh, don't get into this trap. And it's sort of like a, a helping hand. And sometimes as you know, your business better than anyone having a helping hand of not stepping on landmines is really, really helpful. So other founders are a really good source of mentorship in a way. Cause they, they help you, they save you time and in a business time is everything. So then
0: other founders that are going through the similar steps that you've done or have gone through,
2: well, they've already gone gone through, they've already gone through. Yeah. So they're like two or three steps ahead of you, but they're happy to go, oh, like the questions about series A, I feel like, oh, series A was a long time ago. I could provide that information to someone who's going to series A because, you know, I've been done that. I know what to be aware of. I know how to, and then it comes back to the time part. Let them, my experience helps them save time.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure that having different mentors is a sign of your growth, right? Because if you are growing, then like you said, there'll be a time and place for a different mentor. So I think we don't have to be as static as it may seem. Someone may really connect with us at one point and we'll take off and then we'll be ready for our next adventure with another mentor, or another coach. So that's something I do want to emphasize to our listeners because I know it may be hard letting go, but if we are growing, we're going to find something that's new and exciting around the corner. And then- That's a good way of it, head, yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you, Richard. And then for the final leadership question, I wanted to ask, because we always talk about, right, the success in a lot of businesses, but we want to talk about those failures that really played a pivotal moment in, in your life. What would you say was one of the we call them learnings. And we, we heard that from another uh, interview on a podcast. They, they don't call it failures. They call it learnings. So what learnings did you go through or one learning, if you can give us in your life that really helped you, um, how did that propel you to be more successful moving forward?
2: So in the odd up life, it would have had to be an acquisition offer that we had, which we were so excited about. And that was early on in the companies and we spent so much time preparing that. And the learning was we shouldn't have, we should have just been focused on building our product. And so if I look back as a learning that probably delayed our growth three months because we thought, okay, we're, we already sort of gone, okay, the company's going to get sold. It's all done. It's we're, we're it's almost finished. And we focused so much on that. And, Ultimately, that didn't go through that that acquisition because it was just it didn't serve the shareholders. It didn't serve the founders. It didn't serve serve the staff, ultimately, the terms of the deal. But the the lesson of that was it was disheartening, but it wasn't disheartening that the deal didn't go through because actually, I think we led the the negativity of that. We thought this is not going to work for us. The learning was we wasted time and we wasted a lot of time thinking of what I'm going to do with with my life afterwards, rather going. Actually, my life is here now. I need to keep on building. And so if that happens to us again, and after speaking to other founders, is it's just let other people in the business manage that, potentially your, your your major shareholders who have got less time to worry about the business or less time to to be able to help you with what you're doing. They've got more time to help with an acquisition. And so that's, you know, in anything like that was to happen again, I'd pass the baton and be there for major meetings, but, you know, for T's and C's and financials and stuff, let let the team members do it. And I feel like since then, the company's grown from strength to strength because of that very reason.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, James. That's important just to be able to to let your business fly. And I think that is hard of what I've noticed. uh, A common thing with entrepreneurs is like delegating, delegating and allowing people to do their job because that's what they were hired to do. And uh, so I appreciate you sharing that with us now we're in our closing segment and this is a new segment that we just started last episode what
2: are these new segments for not... <laughs> this la- this is an experiment okay
0: <laughs> yes and this segment is okay. fun you might have fun with it but we like to call I'm it sure mind- we like to call it mind your business so okay. it's where we ask uh, questions from our listeners maybe those that uh, are tuning in or are tuning in into the future once we start posting of upcoming entrepreneurs onto the show, but nothing is left behind or off limits. So um, for our guest, you have the option to answer on the spot or tell us, mind your business, but tell us with ah, conviction. So
2: I love <laughs> first question,
0: who do you call or reach out to when you don't know the direction of your business or where you can grow or scale five years from now?
2: My co-founder. Uh, they're in the journey with me. They're always the first point of call. They're the other direction where how we've been successful is because they give a different direction and help me on the right direction.
0: Awesome. Thanks, James. Next one. What are potential megatrends that could make your business model obsolete?
2: Crypto. <laughs> And why is Everyone that? doesn't have a startup anymore. Everyone just trades crypto. <laughs> That's the mega trend. No one actually works. Everyone just, to, he's just a crypto trader, yeah. Yeah, I
0: don't want to invest in your company. I want to invest no, in I this company. I just want to make Bitcoin. money
2: trading crypto, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bugger that, yeah. Don't build anything, yeah.
1: Actually, a crypto Jedi. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. Crypto Jedi. Oh, my goodness.
0: Well, that was it for Mind Your Business. Thank you so much, James, for being on our show. Tell our listeners how sure. they could reach out to you, where they could find your uh, your auto platform, and at this moment you can put any plug. And if they're looking for advice,
2: sure. Well, look, the best is Twitter. I like this to talk on Twitter a lot as much as I can. Uh, that's James Jancotti and. Also on Instagram, if need be, if you want to look at the the lovely pictures of food I take here in San Francisco, Um, but uh, all jokes aside, uh, oddup.com is a good place. Um, I'm happy to reach out to entrepreneurs who have questions, have problems because, you know, I've been there, done that and I got that advice and the best thing I can do is pay it forward. And so if you've got a question, I'm happy to answer it quickly as, or as long as need be, but uh, you can reach us on all those platforms. Fine.
1: And for those tuning in, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, James. Thank you so much.